Well, how many of you got a chance to read the book of Haggai to, uh, by today? Right, we're just going to take a break and you can read it right now. Like two chapters, I'll wait. Go ahead. No, I'm kidding, of course, yes. You could read it while I'm talking, and it would be kind of a toss of a coin, which was more of a blessing. It's just a wonderful book, and if you haven't read it yet, it's a simple book to read and, and refreshing one. And I want to be really direct in my application tonight. And by the way, it's good to see you. Hadn't it been a great day? What a day. What a day. I tell you, I was driving home today thinking, I, I'm sure I'll remember today the rest of my life to celebrate the resurrection with all of you and to see what you did to roll out the red carpet of welcome to people and to make them a nice breakfast and to make Evangel a friendly, warm, loving place for people to come and hear Christ exalted and (laughs) sing and all the instruments and the choir. And it was such a day, such a day. And then to be able to just quietly assemble with you tonight and just have a peaceful time looking into God's Word. I'm just happy to see you tonight and thank you for being here. And and I want to be really direct in, in, in application about what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, you know, the, God gifts different preachers, pastors uh, in different ways, and we thank God for that. You know, it's just like there's just a variety of different ways that God gifts people and uses people. And there are people whose messages are just timeless, just pastors, you know, who preach timeless messages. There are no references to popular culture. Um, he doesn't use his children in illustrations, you know, things like that. And so those are timeless messages. And there are people like that. They're very gifted that way. And I thank God for them. I actually take advantage of them all the time. And I thank God for them. And I know they have a special gift from God. And so I'm grateful for that. Now, I'm not that kind of pastor. Have you figured that out? Uh, I'm just not. Never have been. 32 years in this, 33 years, and I never will be. So there's a little difference. Now, what I believe God gifted me to do a little bit differently is to be very direct in application. In in other words, the the messages, there, there are parts of the messages that will just be timeless. Whenever we look at the principles of Scripture, they're just timeless in their application. There are parts that are just for now, for here and now, You are the people who gathered tonight. This message is not for people who are not here. This message is not for people, unless, of course, you're listening on the podcast, in which case, welcome to Evangel tonight. But for most of it, it's just you're here, and this message is for you. God has arranged this meeting tonight, this text, you, me, and the application is going to be really specific to this church and I hope it'll be really helpful to you. I, I especially feel that way tonight with this. As I study the book of Haggai, I can't get evangel off of my chest. I can't get evangel out of my mind. I got to tell you, our whole family is just obsessed with this church. God moved us here, and then he spread us out. Let me tell you a little something personal here. You know, up until we came to evangel, our family was kind of in a cocoon almost. You know, we did a homeschooling thing. We're kind of in tight and close, and they didn't go out too much. And, and, and so um, then we went from there to a ministry, which was kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know its, its own little. We actually lived in one building, and, the, and, the young, and, and my kids, when they got home to work, they worked within that ministry. But when we came here, can you imagine? My daughters went to work in a hardware store. So, you know, in a nice hardware store that we're grateful for, but a hardware store. And, and, my, and I got a son who works at Starbucks, knows everybody in the whole world. A guy walked in this morning and he says, I'm looking for Chuck. I'm like, Starbucks Chuck? He goes, yeah. Isn't that cool? 
Muslim guy at Easter service today. I said, I'm tickled about that. And so every once in a while, someone will say to me, I met your daughter at Lowe's, or I met your son. And, you know, and so what happened is when they go out, then they come back and they bring stories back to the little house we call Granville Cottage. And the stories are about the reality of the town we live in and the people that we live among. And the more I hear, the more I realize that our God has placed us here, you and I both, right in the middle of this wonderful place, just full of people. And don't, aren't they precious? And don't they need the Lord? Don't they need the Lord? And so that's why we're here. In the process of making Christ known to them, Christ becomes more and more real to us. More and more real to us. And tonight, I just can't escape the obvious application of this truth. Here you have a people who've returned, a portion, a remnant, have returned from Judea goes into Babylonian exile. And this is a remnant of people now that have returned from Babylon under Zerubbabel to Jerusalem and for going on two decades, of about 16 years, they have returned, and they're living in Jerusalem, which is in ruins, and the temple has been destroyed, and the walls torn down, and this is where they are. And then God moves upon the heart of a prophet Haggai to give a little series of messages, a mini-series, four very direct messages. And what God moves, you know, the word of the Lord, these are not messages like you're hearing from me tonight. You see, we're once removed. When you hear a message about the Bible, you're once removed from an oracle of God. An oracle is Haggai says to Zerubbabel and to Joshua, says, step forward, leaders. I have a message from God for you, and let's gather the people. And while I talk to you, we want the people to listen in, because I am going to give you a verbatim message from God. That's an oracle from God. Now, when my head goes down and I read the Bible, that's what you're getting. When my head comes up and I talk about the Bible, that's a sermon, and that's wonderful. God has ordained that men would preach the Word of God and women would teach the Word of God in other contexts. But in this case, we're talking about an oracle, and so that's what Haggai is. It's actually a little mini-series. When I was a boy, my dad pastored in Dayton, Ohio, and there was a guy in the church, he was a neat guy, um, who invited us over to his house one day. He had a small house, a bit of a like a Cape Cod, and the upstairs uh, used to be, I think, two bedrooms, but it was modified into one big room. And I will never forget what happened when we went over to his house, Mr. Hetzel. Went over to his house, and uh, we had tea or something like that, and my parents gave me that warning that they always do, like, don't break anything, don't say anything stupid, children are to be seen and not heard, which I don't, that's not in the Bible anywhere, but my parents always said that. Children are to be seen and not heard. And I would always think to myself, fat chance, you know, I'm heard wherever I go. That's just how I roll, right? So we go over there, you know, and we head to you or whatever. And then Mr. Hetzel said, I want to show you something. Like, okay. So we go upstairs, and the entire upstairs is a railroad. Anybody here have a model railroad? Raise your hand up nice and high. I just want to know who you are. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Anybody else? This was, do you do seriously? This was intense. This was amazing. This was the entire upstairs. It had a little, it had a little, um, it had everything. It had like a library and it had the trestles and it had little trees and little boy with his dog fishing and it's an entire little miniature plastic railroad kingdom. It was cool. 
And I suppose if a man's priorities were right, and that was his diversion, and that's where he tinkered, and that's where he was quiet, that there's certainly nothing wrong with that all in order. But you want know, to remind me a little bit of this whole thing that we tend to do. I'm not talking about having a hobby. I'm talking about having a little plastic kingdom. I'm talking about having things we apply ourselves to and things that we arrange and things that we think about and things that we spend our money about while we're ignoring the work of God, which is often what happens. It's like the real game, the real game is what is God doing in this world? The other games are interesting. The Tigers won in extra innings in case you missed it today. But that's not the real game, right? I mean, it was a cool game. and You can like catch up later on the TV. But, but the real game is what is God doing? Cabrera, does he know Jesus? You know, I just thinking, he knows Spanish, I don't know if he knows English, he can hit the ball, he's like three home runs so far, three games, three home runs. You don't want to talk baseball? That's fine. That's really cool, but that's not the game, right? That's not the kingdom, they're kingdom small k, our little, you know, fiefdoms that we run but then there is what is god doing in this great world of ours and what is god doing in the great arch spanning arches of history and how do we fit in that and how does this church fit in that in this place in our time that's the real news that's the real game that's the not plastic kingdom that's the real kingdom that's what's going to count, and that's what's going to matter, and that's what's going to fulfill, and that's what's going to satisfy. And that is what God wants us to make our investments in. And these people actually had a, a, a responsibility to rebuild the temple for the worship of God, but they had not done it. And there are a couple reasons why they hadn't done it, perhaps. One, very clear, they were intimidated, I'm sure, because there was immediate opposition. And whenever you do the work of God, there will be people who misunderstand and some people who actually oppose the work of God and they talk against the work of God and they work against the work of God. And that was the case then. And the people said, well, if it's going to be hard, we'll just go panel our own houses. There's another reason that they delayed in the work of God and they kind of redefined God's will and they said to Haggai, we don't think God wants us to do this quite yet, even though Haggai said, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, time to build the temple. But another reason was simply that they were distracted with their own stuff, plastic kingdoms. They were working on their own homes. not necessarily wrong to work on your own home, but it's wrong to work on your own home if you're neglecting the work of God. And something really special happens when you see that God is at work in something, and then you devote yourself to it. And that's the big idea of this book, I think. And that is, I'll just tell you ahead of time, then I'll emphasize it later. And it's this, and this is like if you are a little tired and you worked hard on lunch today, or you overate, you go to sleep, you still get the big idea. Here's what the big idea is. And that is when the people of God set aside self-interest, and they apply themselves to the glory of God, to the worship of God, then God will manifest himself. When God's people set aside self-interest and they apply themselves to God's work and God's worship, God will show up. He will manifest Himself in strength and power and glory. You see who He is and He does what He does when God's people show that devotion to Him. That's always the way it's been and it's that way now. It's true at Evangel and it was true then. So you can kind of see that He has four messages 
Five times in Haggai, the word of the Lord came to Haggai. Initially, there was a little statement, but then each time you can kind of tell when Haggai is giving one of his messages or one of his, he gives one of his oracles because the little flag is the word of the Lord. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3. This, the, uh, then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, it, it is time for you yourselves to dwell in your, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins. Is that right? So that's one. Here's another one, chapter 2. And of course, there are only two chapters. Chapter 2 and verse 1, seventh month and the 20, uh, and the, uh, in the seventh month and the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, Joshua, and so forth. Then you have in chapter 2 and verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in his second year, of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet again. You see it? Thus says the Lord of hosts. Uh, and then, then, then again, um, in chapter 2 and verse 20, toward the end again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai. So there you have that little, uh, that little uh, hook uh, that you can see the structure of the book, the four different messages that Haggai gave. Let me give you kind of a real simple kind of thumbnail sketch and using real simple terms these are kind of like the messages that Haggai gave. Message number one was complete the temple. He's like, consider your ways. Is it appropriate that you have not completed the temple? You haven't been working on the temple to rebuild the temple? His message is complete the temple. Let's look at that here. Um, he, he says, consider your ways. And this is repeated in ver- chapter five, or, sorry, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 7, the Lord says, consider your ways. Uh, think about this. He, he says in verse 4, Is it time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Then he goes into a little series of questions like, Why do you think things are going bad for you right now? And he says, You have sown much, but you bring in little. Like, why is that, you think? See? You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. You earn wages, and it earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Did you ever feel like that, that way? It seems like my wallet has a hole in it. <laughs> it seems like my pocket has a hole in it. I earn, but my money goes away. Haggai says to the, to the people, God says through Haggai to the people, you might want to ask yourself why that is. You might want to ask yourself, Am I under God's chastisement that things aren't going well, that kind of things are going? So that's a good thing to ask yourselves, and this is what he says, consider your ways. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And then he says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house, you've got your little plastic kingdom. You don't care about my worship, he's saying. Verse 10, Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock, and all the labor of your hands. God says that, hey, you might want to stop and think about why things have been going bad. Things have been going bad because I have withheld my blessing because you haven't considered the worship of God, the rebuilding of the temple. Your priorities are wrong, and therefore I've withheld my blessing. So that's what he's saying, consider your ways. 
Now, this is interesting because let me ask you, if you've read ahead, what do the people do when they hear this message? How many of you say they disobey? Raise your hand if you think they disobey. How many of you say they obey? Raise your hand. How many of you don't like voting in church? Raise your hand. Yes. How many of you aren't even going to vote when I say that? Raise your hand. Why do I even do that? You know, you just look at me. You just look at me. Well, of course, they do, they obey. It's just a beautiful thing. In verse 15 it says, And then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and with all the remnant of the people, look at this, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. And the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. They actually said, I believe this guy came from the Lord. I believe this guy is speaking for the Lord, and I'm going to fear God. I'm going to show my fear for God by obeying what he says. We're going to get to work on this. And they did it. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. And then verse 14 is really a sweet verse. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, See, he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. He's stirring their spirits. I like that. So, here's what happens. People are disobedient to God. They're intimidated by opposition. They're distracted by their own things. God sends a prophet along. The prophet said, this is not right. You need to consider why I have withheld my blessing. The people, they say, this guy came from the Lord. He's speaking for the Lord. And then this miraculous thing happens. God stirs up everybody's spirit to obey. Isn't that, isn't that a neat thing? It's just, just a sweet verse. You know, we can just talk till the cows come home, but the Spirit of God has to stir the spirits of the people of God and has to stir the leaders in order for us to obey God and for Him to be honored and glorified. And let me just be really candid in my application. That needs to happen here. It needs to happen in our church. Continuously, that God would stir up our spirits. Oh God, stir up our spirits. That we would not only look back on what God has done in the past, but they would look forward to a new day of fresh obedience to the Lord. And so i got to keep moving here because i got some really direct applications I want to give you here tonight. And so they did. And the second uh, message was in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. He says, you rebuild the temple and I will visit it with my glory. Now this is a very pregnant thing because remember when, when God was displeased, he, 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 he visited Solomon's temple with glory. We're talking about Shekinah glory. It was like visible, palpable glory of God in the temple. But then when the people had displeased him and then the, they saw the glory depart from the temple, Ichabod, glory's departed. Not good. God says, if you rebuild the temple, I'm going to visit with my glory. It, 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 you, we talk about this a lot, but glory is God showing who he is. Glory is God manifesting His beauty, His character, who He is. And there's power attached to that. There's effect attached to God's glory. So you want God to show up in glory. 
You want God's glory in your eyes and in your heart. It's the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 that actually internally transforms us by the power of the Holy Spirit. All the stuff that you need and lack and all the things that grieve you that you need, they are given to us by a fresh vision of who God is when we see His glory, when He manifests His glory. This is what you want. You may not even know that, but that's what you and I need more than any other thing. For God's glory, for for us to be able to see who God is with the eyes of our deepest heart and long for Him in our deepest longings, when that happens, then it's a transformation that goes on. Good stuff happens when God is glorified. And so the people, whenever God's people all throughout the biblical history gather in obedience, there's a, that's the place where God manifests glory. So it happened in the garden, it happened in the tabernacle, it happened in the temple, and God wants it to happen. If you study carefully, the New Testament local church, God says, when my people, covenant community, gathers in my name, I will manifest my glory there. Good reason not to miss church. Good reason to take church and tennis seriously and, and devote yourself to because there's something special that God will do when the saints assemble in the appointed place that he doesn't do in private devotion, as wonderful as private devotion is. There's a sense, there's a continuity about where God manifests his glory. And if you read in, in Ephesians chapter 5 in particular, in Hebrews, you can see God manifests his glory when the assembly happens. It doesn't necessarily have to be in this building. It could be in a home where the people have assembled in a prayer group or a small group that God will manifest his glory. There's a special working of God when people get together in God's name. And so this is a manifestation of his glory. And so that's what he says in verses 1 through 9. And... and um, uh, what he says is, you remember the former temple, it was uh, ornate, it was beautiful, it was the pride of all Hebrew people, the Solomon's temple. And it was destroyed, it was a gut-wrenching tragedy for that to be destroyed, and then the rebuilding of the temple would not be as large, and you remember the passages that talk about the old men were weeping while the young men were rejoicing because the young men hadn't seen the former glory of the temple, right? And this is a similar passage, verse 3, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory. And how do you see it now? In comparison, is it not in your eyes as nothing? It's a smaller temple. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Over and over again, he calls himself the Lord of hosts, the Lord who rules all the mighty army angels in heaven. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and I love this next phrase, my spirit remains among you, do not fear. Are any of you ever tempted to look in the past more than you look in the future and assume that in the past God was present and blessing, and in the present and the future you're not so sure? That's what these people felt. Oh, I remember the former glory, and God's glory manifests itself in a large temple in this site. And he says, my spirit is still among you. How dare you relegate me to the antique pile, God says. Don't ever do that. God is still changing people's lives. God is still stirring up God's people. God's spirit still works among God's people when they obey him. God still delivers people from sin, sinful bondage. God still takes the heaviness out of people's hearts. He's still every bit as much alive and at work now as he ever was. And God's people need to remember, and this was the case, I'm still among you. 
And he says, I'm going to do a greater work in the future. And there's an apocalyptic, eschatological future thing going on here. He's pointing more toward, there's a temple and then there's a temple. There is the Zerubbabel's temple and then, of course, there's the modification under Herod. But then there's going to be this millennial temple. And you get kind of a foreshadowing of that here. You hear it in the language. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more it is a little while, and I will shake the heaven and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. I believe that's Jesus. Every nation longs for a true ruler, a benevolent, godly ruler. Jesus is that desire that all nations have that they can't identify the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of the latter temple will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Ooh, that's a great promise. Beautiful, isn't it? So he gives that message. That would have been a stirring message to hear. You got it? I don't know where this was, but Zerubbabel, he's directly addressing three audiences together, right? Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant of the people. And, he's got, and God has I have a message for you. And so he's gathering these people. He's giving these messages. This is a wonderful time because it's kind of a revival time that people are listening and with having respect for the preachers. Like, this is what God has said. Let's go and do it. And they go and they do it. And God blesses it. It's always been that way. It always will be that way. And so God's glory will visit it, he says. He gives a couple little, um, a couple little examples of defilement. It's like, what he, what he basically says is, if I'm clean and I touch something that's unclean, do I make the thing that's unclean clean? Answer? No. So if I touch something that's unclean, does what's unclean make me unclean? Answer is yes. That's what he says. So what he's saying to the people is, again, let me remind you why you're in the fix you're in. It's because you've been defiled. It's because you've touched unclean things. And you're defiled and you've lost my blessing. And that's the section... He says, I want my people to be clean people. I want my people to be holy people. I want my people to realize that my blessing is attached to their pursuit of holiness through, obviously in the New Testament context, this is through the work of the Holy Spirit only, through the justification, sanctification. Here he's saying to the people, his his demand for holiness is important. If God says, if I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you if you're holy. If you're not holy, I'm not going to bless you. And you want your blessing. And the fourth message was basically that you will ultimately be victorious and all of your enemies will be defeated, which is kind of a nice thing to hear. Look in verse 20. And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and say, I will shake, this is a repeat from verse 6 of chapter 2, I will shake the heaven and earth, I will overthrow the throne of all kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdom. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them and the horses and the riders shall come down, everyone by the sword and his brother. And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Sheltiel, says the Lord, and I will make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I'm going to do something, and this is the man I'm going to use right here. You guys follow him. He has God's authority. Interesting. So you have like Haggai's mini-series, if you will. Let me give you some implications uh, before we go home. Listen to God's Word and obey it. I mean, you got that, right? Uh, These are implications for, let's just make them, let's dial them in right on us here in Evangel. These things are timeless, they're true. Let's, when we hear God's Word, let's listen to it, let's obey it. And thank you. 
by the way, for the many, many examples that I see in you all, week after week after week, where you have listened to the Word of God and gone out to obey it. I hear the stories all the time. Some of them are official, and we have records of them. Others are just beautiful and organic, and they spring up, and we have no record of them. We just hear about it. And I realize that here in this church, we don't want to brag on ourselves. If anything good happened, it was the Spirit of God stirring up people who deserve to be in hell. And because we're so grateful for what God's done for us, and we're trying to obey Him, and just in our own way, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we try to obey Him, and God does good stuff. And, uh, and I want to commend you for that. I hear about that. Let's continue to do that. Let's do it even in a fresh way. Listen to God's Word and obey God's Word. Here's another implication. Worship is really important to God. It's primary to God. Worship is everything. You know this. Worship is what helps us to walk in holiness of life. And, and the worship of God is a serious matter. And reverence for God is a very serious matter. And there are many ways to manifest reverence for God. In different ways. Sometimes ways you wouldn't think. But there are. Can I tell you a little story here since we're all just us guys tonight? I live at Camp Barakel speaking. And there was an elderly gentleman, a sweet guy. The songs up there, the way they do them is they, they use, I think, just a, like they use a, uh, Leanne, you played a song for the offertory. That is a song that we sing up there. I could just hear the kids' voices singing. Um, Come people of the risen king. It's like, yeah. So they're contemporary songs, a lot of them, and some of them are, are, a few are hymns, most of them are contemporary, but they're played with the piano. So this elderly guy was there, and he came up to me and he goes, man, I love the music up here. I'm like, well, me too. <laughs> I just always have. He goes, it's kind of more conservative, and I like that. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, you know, my church, they got the guitars and the drums and everything. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He goes, I, I don't know about that. You know, I said, well, I said, let me help you with that. He said, um, I said, are all your grandkids walking with the Lord? He said, no. I said, well, I want you to imagine the kid on the guitar. Next time you come into church and you see that kid up there playing that guitar, I want you to imagine that's your grandson. And he came back to walk with the Lord. And he's just up there and he's just worshiping God. And he goes, yeah, that puts it in a different light. And it does, doesn't it? Somebody might say, well, that's not reverent. So, oh, be careful, be careful, be careful. You look inside of a person's heart. God looks inside of a person's heart. And a person may look wonderful on the outside and be very not reverent on the inside. And a person may not look reverent on the outside. By the way, we had we, you know, we said, well, that's not reverent, but you don't know their heart. Can I just remind you? Get to know people well enough that you know their heart like God knows their heart. And you might be encouraged or you might really need to pray for them a lot more <laughs> you know their heart. But worship is paramount to God. We shouldn't trifle with it. We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't um, set it aside and make it a secondary thing. Consider your ways. In other words, and we mentioned this before, the consider your ways is like ask the Lord, Lord, is this chastisement? If something goes wrong in your life, it's not necessarily chastisement. Remember Job? Lots of things went wrong. It was not chastisement. Okay? But in other cases, it might be God's loving, chastising hand. With, so always ask yourself, Lois, we do this all the time, don't we? 
Lois is wired like this, and that's one of the reasons I think God gave her to me. She's gifted this way, and, and uh, something will go wrong, and she'll say to me, you think everything's okay? Is there, are we doing anything wrong? And then we sometimes need to seek the Lord's forgiveness and help and ask him to bless us again and acknowledge that he's chastised us. Is that true with you? Is that true with you or no? Yeah. Okay. No? Yeah. Do you want me to pray that God will show you that? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. No, that's true. If that's not true with you, the Bible calls you a Yeah. Yeah. Bad word. Yeah. So no, if you're a child of God <laughs> and you sin, he's going to chastise you. And so you say, consider your ways. This is something we should always do. Listen, let's not just go always considering other people's ways. <laughs> consider your own ways. You know? Let God take care of them. You consider your ways. You just get on, you know, go take a drive. Talk with the Lord. Consider your ways. Here's another one. Seek the blessing of God. This is kind of obvious. We've already mentioned it. But you want to be in a position where God can stir up your spirit like he did in chapter 1, verse 14. Seek the blessing of God. Think like that. God, am I living in such a way that you could bless me without making yourself look bad? God, I want your blessing. I want your blessing on this church. I want your blessing on my family. I want your blessing on my life. Covet that. He says, okay, I can give you that if you put me first and you seek holiness. You're careful of defilement, which we... This is another thing. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, remember the smaller temple and the larger temple. That God is saying that he can bring great glory to something that Satan has reduced. This is a message that our whole area needs and a lot of us need. Our lives have been reduced by sin, all of us, sometimes just ravaged by sin and hurt. And just, there are people out there whose lives have been just devastated by sin, and they're tempted to believe, you know, I can see God being honored in a guy who's got it put together over here, that nice guy with that little perfect family, and they all just line up with their little white gloves and their Easter bonnets and their patent leather shoes, and they line up on a pew, and I can imagine God being blessed, God being honored with that. But now those people aren't thinking clearly because if you read this book here, you don't really see too many of those patent leather shoe, white glove, Easter bonnet families, as much as we like that. What do you see in this book? Messed up people. Mercifully messed up people. And they're the ones that God identified with. They're the ones that God cleansed and purified and made holy and used broken ones. And if you look around the area that we live in, they're everywhere you look. And it's not them and us. We're broken. They're broken. We're all broken. Let's not look at the people in our area. Let's not walk through our stores and look at people, look down our nose at people and think maybe because, like in my case, I was spared from a lot of heartache because God saved my mom and dad. And there, there are, I don't know, this my son um, called me was happy today. He said, Dad, Elizabeth, this is my son, Kama, oldest, and his wife, Elizabeth, and they're the ones that had a new baby this week, Leland, Ralph. Elizabeth is happy because Elizabeth's been working on the neighbors for three years to get them to come to church. And over, over there, when we were over there seeing Leland, there's a little adorable little girl that was riding her bike, a little African-American girl. It's just riding her bike, her hair is blowing. And Kyle said, that girl, it's so sad. She's like in a one foster home after another foster home after another foster home. And the highlight of her life is 
when she gets to stay next door at that house. And Kyle said, and that house isn't what it ought to be. He says, it just makes me so sad. But they came to church today. And Kyle said, the pastor was faithful to preach the gospel today. It changes church when you bring somebody. It's totally. My messages, which don't seem all that great, when you bring a lost person, you're like, come on, pastor, get them. That's it. It's the gospel. I love the gospel. Listen to what he's saying. Isn't that, isn't that the way it is? You're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, you bring a lost person, and I'll be a lot better preacher. Isn't that the way it is? Isn't that wonderful? And, and maybe you won't be able to get them to come first. It, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But here, I, I, must, I must hurry. <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to start now. Cleanse yourself from any defilement. We talked about that. And remember that you have an ultimate victory still to come. Let me talk about what evangel needs just real quick. This is kind of an in-house state of the union thing, and we'll repeat a little of this next Sunday night, I'm sure. But we need a fresh commitment to discipleship. When I came here, you all said, hey, this is what we're about. We're about glorifying God by making committed disciples to Jesus Christ. But here's the problem that we can get into as a church. We can default into more of a we're not really about making disciples mode. What we're really about is keeping the plates spinning that we've been used to doing, whether they make disciples or not. Do you see that? We have certain things we're going to run. We have programs we're used to doing. We do these things. They require a lot of effort. They require money. They require time. We've got to keep the plates spinning. Let's keep this thing going. We've got to keep the lights on, the bills paid, and all of that. I mean, the pastors, their families, they eat. We've got to pay them. You know, you've got all of that. You've got that going on. And so after a while, it's like, is this making disciples or is this just running church as we know it? And so what we need is we need a fresh stirring of the Spirit of God to say, let's ask ourselves the hard question, is evangel still really in the process of really seeing people come to Jesus Christ and making disciples? And we can all give, and I'm the first to do it, I can give anecdotal evidence, I can, I can, I can trot out testimonies, and I love doing it. We go, hey, what about this one and that one? Yes, we can, and we ought to. Remember what I said last week, last week? I'm not sure everybody got it, but I said last week, God's done a bunch of wonderful things, but not a balcony full yet. And whatever the number is, you know, that, that's really God's business and our, ours, but there's just so many of them out there who still need the Lord. And so many even that are connected with us that need to make progress in faith and discipleship before I got here, the pastors had come up with this idea, come, grow, serve. We've been reading, the pastors have been reading books, and some of the deacons have been kind of conferring about this, and we've been talking a little bit about what should our church look like if we're really going to be effectively kind of reinvigorating and renewing our passion to be a disciple-making church that actually has a process, that actually is making disciples, finding lost people, winning them, making disciples. What should that look like? And the more we studied it, we, we read Tom Rainer's book, Simple Church. You should read. Great book. Interesting. There's some ideas in that. Listen to some other people. Prayed. You know, kind of had those like arm wrestling sessions, you know, and talking among the pastors. Many, 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 many hours of talking and praying and conferring and thinking about this church, past, present, and future. And we've kind of come back to this come, grow, serve. And let me explain what we're talking about here. The idea is, imagine the circles, come being a really big circle, grow being a bit smaller circle, and serve being a little tiny cluster Let's think about come like Sunday morning almost. We have a time when God's people all assemble and we worship together. God manifests himself and we have the preaching of the word of God and singing and worship and all of that. And we ask, we call the whole assembly, come together. And we invite people to that great assembly. And we make much of that, come. People have a pattern of faithfulness to that. It's what the Bible commands. 
Now, what we want to do then is when they get there, we've got to get lots better at this. What we want to do is when they get in that big group, we've got to have hooks, Velcro, connections, magnets that draw those dear folk from these benches into a smaller group of some kind. Initially, we think adult Bible fellowships, Sunday school, six different options on Wednesday night. But eventually, I'd like to think about smaller groups that meet at different times at different places with different leaders. And it's a place where people can come together, perhaps in a cottage prayer meeting or in a small group that might be based on the message. So you hear a message on Sunday morning and then you go to a small group and you discuss that message and the application of that message in that small group and that small group may meet here in the building or may meet somewhere else. That's the, so we, but we actually are always recruiting people from this group into an ABF or into a Wednesday night discipleship group or into an off Sunday and off Wednesday night discipleship group. We're noticing that people love our church. They often come and love our church. And they say good things about our church and they like, they fill these pews and they stick around for a while. But a lot of times we don't get to further disciple them because they kind of drift off because they never got connected. They never got kind of folded into the fellowship. And they need that. Many of them do. Not everybody, but some just sense that I like to get in a small circle. I like to be able to tell my problems. I like to be able to pray. I like to do the one another. I need some fellowship here. And so it, it always grieves me when somebody says evangel is not a friendly church. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're the friendliest people I've ever worked with. They're sweet, kind, humble, nice people. You've got to get to know them, and that's the problem. They're not getting to know folks. We've got to get some of those folk into connections, and we think that a smaller group would be, able, would be able to do that. So that's kind of what we're thinking. That's the grow part. So it might be that small group meets on Sunday morning and the Sunday school hour and the adult Bible fellowship. It might meet on Wednesday night. It might meet another time. The grow part. But you see what? We have that movement that goes from the big group to the smaller group that pulls the people. That's why we're going to change our visitor's card. We're going to have other options because we're going to actually, as people get that card, it's not going to be a visitor's card as much as it's a kind of a magnet card to pull them from you're in the big group to now you're with us in a bit of a smaller group. And this is going to make a place of ministry for a lot of you that have been sitting with the Bible open in your lap, listening to the teaching of the Word of God for years. It's like, okay, your turn now. We put the Bible in your lap and we give you a cluster of people. Give me a couple minutes. I'll tell you something quick. Here's what, what's going on in our church. One of the things that's happening is we have some folk visiting. A guy recently, last Saturday night, actually came to know the Lord. He's eager to tell me about it. A um, uh, guy that uh, Chuck had met uh, pushing coffee. And the guy's come to know the Lord. Now, um, what's neat is one of our young men works third shift. I don't say too much, but I just we'll just... Keep it between us, guys. Um, uh, I'm kidding. It's recorded, so, you know. But anyway, one of our guys works third shift and normally can't come on Sunday, but found out that other guy was coming, and he decided he'd stay awake, and he'd come to church to make sure that guy wouldn't be sitting here alone without somebody he knew. And so he says to me, and I feel rebuked when he tells me this, Pastor, if you see me nod, it's not because you're not interesting. It's because I stayed up all night, and I'm like, I honor you. I honor you. Now imagine that young man and the young man who got saved and Chuck gathering at a McDonald's or Starbucks with an open Bible and they begin to work their way through the basics of the Christian faith. And one day the testimony is on the video and the young man gets baptized and we repeat that over and over again and you get to be involved in it and your kids get to be involved in it and your kids will never say there is not a God because they saw God at work. Anybody excited about that program? 
That's wonderful, isn't it? That's what it can look like. When I say change, that's what I'm talking about. Tie, no tie, that's not the big deal. That's what I'm talking about. Willingness to say, okay, do we have a church that really is making disciples, moving people from come to grow, and then out of that grow group, now if you're growing and you're in a small group, it's like now you start to plot you start to plot things to wreak havoc in this kingdom of Satan to forward the kingdom of Christ. You say, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? you got a little missional team that goes out there. Maybe they work, and some of our kids are talking about going and working in a soup kitchen and helping out in that way. And it could be one of our sisters gathers with others in a home, and, and they go, they're going through the gospel in a small group, and, and someday we'll let her tell that story when she's willing to do that. It's a pretty cool story what God is doing there. You see, that's the serve part, and that is, it might be like, you know, I've always wanted to serve the Lord. What can I do to serve Him? And then we put you on a team, and that team might be teaching or the choir, or it might be greeting, or it might be you're leading in one of these small groups, or maybe you're gathering a small group, or you're just attending the small group, or you're helping, or maybe you're the one that makes the tea for the small group, or you're the one that opens your home, but you're really quiet, and you really can't, you're not the person that talks, but you can open your home and make it nice, and you can have a person like me that, you know, that I can just talk anywhere, anytime, and say the word, just be quiet, I'll start talking, that's how I am. And there are people that are gifted that way. You know, they love to talk about the Lord. That sound exciting to anybody here? That's kind of what I'm thinking. This is um, what we've been praying a lot about. And you see the movement that come, grow, serve was a great idea, and it can it can work to simplify our process here as a church to see more and more disciples coming to know the Lord. But I would say this: that in order for that to happen, we're going to have to have our spirits stirred up told you first this is the first way i've put it like this i'll be telling you talking about this a lot more you'll hear it over and over and over again i believe this is what god has put on my heart for this church and so i remember you know five years ago i stood here and people asked me the question so so what's your vision for the church and i'm like the honest answer then is well i'm standing in this pulpit and uh, when you're in the hospital i come and visit you and um i'm not really sure what it looks like ask me again and i can tell you a lot more i've been here longer what is your vision for this church? I will just tell you, I have this wonderful crushing weight of this community on my soul. And I have this, we have this wonderful church and the heritage of this church and these godly people who know the Bible that we can equip you to go get them for God's glory. And in the mix of that, our, we grow in holiness and our children see the hand of God at work. It gets to be a very exciting place to be. <laughs> it was pretty exciting this morning. It's just when you know the little stories that are going on who brought who and why they're there and what God is doing. Very exciting stuff. Isn't that exciting? So we, we first of all, we have to have the re, re, a fresh commitment to that original vision for our church. Going back, and that's going to require some evaluation, and it's going to require saying no to some good things. That we're just going to go, well, we're not going to do them because this is what we're all about over here. And we'll talk more about that, and we work together on that, make those decisions together. But something that's even more important than this, though, than this fresh commitment and that is, above all, that we are people who seek the blessing of God. And we do this in prayer and holiness of life and attendance to the Word of God. God bless what we're doing. God, make us the kind of people you can bless without bringing dishonor to yourself. And so there you have it. When God's people put His work and His worship first, He'll display His glory. And that can happen in this place. Amen? And we can be involved in it. We can see it happen. We can be a part of it. Our children can be a part of it. Our grandchildren can be a part of it. People who are far from God can be a part of this and eventually just see their lives completely transformed. I don't want to just talk about I love I love the old hymns, and I love the, 
biographies of famous Christians from years ago. I love to tell their stories. This church should always retain, I believe, the heritage of, of Christianity. I really believe that. I believe there's something that we have from the past that we can always pass on to folks that are new, that, didn't, that don't really understand why a lady went out today, a visitor, and she said, oh, that was a wonderful service. It was a wonderful service. I said, are you coming back? She says, I am coming back. And then she said, there's only one thing wrong with it. I said, what was that? She says, you did not sing the old rugged cross. And I said, if you come back, we will sing the old rugged cross five times if we have to. The old rugged cross. Well, do you see what I'm saying? We have the heritage to look back on. And we have that heritage, the good part of it, to teach new people that don't know the great history of the Christian faith. We don't stand here alone in our generation. There's a generations that went before us, and we have benefited by those generations before us, and we bring those generations along, and we teach young people about those generations. Yes, but folks, we don't spend all of our time looking in, in the past, but we take that and we look forward to what God is going to do in the future to defeat our enemies and to capture people's hearts for Christ, and that's what we look forward to. So you've been in on a little something. You got two messages tonight. Did you notice that little tricky thing that I did there? We got Haggai and the application to evangel. I, wanted, I knew tonight would be a good time for me to tell my heart because I knew I'd be with a very sympathetic group that went out of their way to come back on Easter Sunday night. And thank you that you were here. I want to press on the upward way, gain new heights every day. Peter's going to come lead us in that song before we go home, all right?